Good evening and welcome to the Spirit and Life Bible Study. My name is Jonathan. Our reader is Cara tonight. And in case you were watching last week, she's feeling much better. Thank you very much <laughs> for your thoughts and prayers. They really worked. And our topic tonight is to open our eyes. We've been doing a series, and it doesn't matter whether you've been following along with us or not. Try to make each one freestanding. But doing a series on why Jesus came into the world. And we talked last time about healing the sick. And this is a particular type of healing that Jesus did of opening the eyes of the blind. So I wanted to look at that tonight and what does that mean? What, why was that so important that he would come into the world and open our eyes? And what does that mean for us? What, um, how is that going to be for us? Uh, so would you care to join me in an opening prayer, good friends? Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you are the one God of heaven and earth. We pray earnestly for your presence among us tonight, Lord. Please open up the pages of your word to us and explain who you are and how it is that you would have us be. Amen. Thank you, everyone. Very good to see you. Sending love to those of you online and those of you getting the audio and in various other sorts of forms. So we're talking about opening our eyes, opening our eyes. Um, uh, why don't we start, mm, let's see, where should we start? Why don't we start back in the Old Testament? Uh, the third, the fourth book of Moses is the book of Numbers. Back there, can we go to Numbers chapter 22? We'll just be reading uh, some different passages. I got interested in the fact that uh, the Bible so often speaks about our eyes being opened. Now, our physical eyes have eyelids and so on, so they're, they're able to physically open. Is that all it's talking about, or is it talking about something more than that? Look in chapter 22, and let's start at verse 22. This is Balaam, and he's been called on to curse the children of Israel, if you're familiar with that story. And he comes along, and he's riding a donkey, to get there, and he's been called by an enemy of the children of Israel to curse them. He is uh, what you might call today a, a shaman or something like that, he's, and uh, so he's coming to, to curse them. Let's see how this story goes. Then God's anger was aroused because Balaam went, and the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as an adversary against him. Oh. And he was riding on his donkey, and his two servants were with him. Now the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in mm. his hand. And the donkey turned aside out of the way and went into the field. So, go on. So Balaam struck the donkey to turn her back onto the road. What we gather is that Balaam did not see the angel, but the donkey did. It's a bad day if you're a holy man and you can't see an angel, but your donkey can see it perfectly clearly, you know. But anyway, let's go on. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between the vineyards with a wall on this side mm. and a wall on that side. Mm. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed herself against the wall and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall. Mm. So the donkey's trying to steer away from the angel and Balaam's foot is on the side of the donkey and gets crushed against the wall. So he struck her again. Mm. 
Then the angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn, either to the right hand or to the left. Mm. And when the donkey saw the wow. angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So just whoom, flops down on the ground. So Balaam's anger was aroused, and he struck the donkey with his staff. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and she said to Balaam, what have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? Wonderful sort of story, kind of a magical touch. But the, So the Lord opens the mouth of the donkey, and the donkey is speaking and protesting. And Balaam said to the donkey, Because you have abused me, I wish there were a sword in my hand, for now I would kill you. Very interesting that Balaam feels abused. I mean, yes, he got his foot crushed and so on, but he's angry because the donkey's not doing what he wants. So the donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey on which you have ridden ever since I became yours to this day? Was I ever disposed to do this to you? And he said, No. Now, that's a great argument, isn't it? He's a pretty smart donkey. The, you know, I, have you seen, am I a problem animal for you? Uh, I, I've been carrying you faithfully all these years. Uh, and he has to admit, uh, No, I've, you've never done anything like that before. Then what happens? Then. Drum roll. The Lord opened Balaam's eyes. Oh, well, his eyes were already open. He, he saw the wall, saw the donkey, you know, but he didn't see the angel. That's the part that he didn't see. And now that his eyes are open, then what? And he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand. And he bowed his head and fell flat on his face. Mm. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come out to stand against you because your way is perverse before me. Hmm. The donkey saw me and hmm. turned aside from me these three times. If she had not turned aside from me, surely I would also have killed you by now and let her live. Yes, <laughs> that's a nice little detail, isn't it? Yeah, go on. And Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I did not know you stood in the way against me. Now, therefore, if it displeases you, I will turn back. You and see how his eyes being closed is associated with him not knowing, right? It's about intellectual sight. I didn't know that you were there equals my eyes were not opened. Then when his eyes are open, he sees that the angel's there. Okay. Then the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, Go with the men, but only the word that I speak to you, that you shall speak. So Balaam went with the princes of Balak. And if you know how the story turns out, he ends up pronouncing these beautiful blessings. In fact, we can look at uh, uh, one of them here. Um, oh, there's, there's so much I want to say about that. Um, let's turn to Numbers 24, though, and uh, look at verse 15. Here's one of his pronouncements. <coughs> So he took up his oracle and said, The utterance of Balaam, the son of Baor. And how does he describe himself? The son of Baor. Keep going. And the utterance of the man whose eyes are open. He describes himself as a man whose eyes are open. Go on. The utterance of him who hears the words of God and has the knowledge of the Most High. Listen to that. You see, again, there's a connection between knowledge and having your eyes opened, right? He hears the words of God. His eyes are open. He knows the knowledge. Okay. Who sees the vision of the Almighty, 
who falls down with eyes wide open. Yes, eyes wide open. So this is a picture of his trance state, that his eyes are open, uh, but, but, but he falls down. And what does he say? There's this beautiful prophecy that he says. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel mm. and batter the brow of Moab and destroy all the sons of tumult. Yes, thank you. We'll just stop there. But uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful story. Okay, what I want to say about this right now, uh, I can't really prove it to you right now, but uh, in Bible studies before, we've studied the fact that very often the imagery of walls in Scripture are associated with the literal meaning of Scripture itself. So it interests me a great deal that Balaam and, and, a, and a donkey, by the way, has to do with your rational mind. So I think this is a picture of someone reading Scripture with their rational mind, and, and the, the rational mind can see things that the, your self can't see, and he's getting his foot, which is his lower self, sort of crushed against what the Word says, like, oh, ow, Ten Commandments, ouch, you know? getting his foot squeezed against the wall there, and then ends up in a place where uh, he can't turn to the left or the right, it said, didn't it? Isn't that what mm -hmm. it said? Mm -hmm. And I'm suddenly reminded of Joshua chapter 1. I'm just going to skip over there real quick. And it says something like, um, Be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left has to do with the law of God, that, that turning to the right or the left. So I think this whole story is in a hidden way. It's about Scripture, and it's about the way our mind approaches it and what sees the angel and what doesn't. And, and so his eyes are opened, and he has this knowledge. And then later, when he's going to pronounce his, his um, you know, what turns out to be a blessing. It was supposed to be a curse, but it's a blessing on the children of Israel. He describes himself as someone whose eyes are open and who hears the word of, words of God and has the knowledge of the Most High, and he's in a vision, and he falls down with his eyes wide open. This is a picture of him, I think, being conscious of a spiritual level. Uh, Swedenborg says some interesting things about uh, passages like these. Uh, he talks about the fact that uh, there's a separate spiritual world of the afterlife, and there's a separate physical world, and we see the, this world with our physical eyes, we see the spiritual world with our spiritual eyes, and yet when our spiritual eyes are opened, it looks a lot like this world. Like to the donkey, the donkey's seeing an angel, the angel's not in the physical world, it's in the spiritual world, but everything else looks the same. There's still a wall, there's still a Balaam, there's still everything, you know? That's the nature of having our spiritual eyes open, is that we can see things I don't know if you were able to participate in that enjoyable event on Saturday night where we were talking about the unintelligible afterlife, but we had many examples of people who are about to die, and they're seeing things and saying things that are layered on this world. And it reminded me of Balaam and the fact that that donkey and then later Balaam was able to see things that are in this physical world, the walls, uh, you know, the surroundings and everything, and yet there's an angel there, can see an angel. So the two are layered on top of each other. So that's awfully good fun. Uh, turn to the right, if you will, and let's go through Joshua, Judges, First and Second Samuel. I want to go to Second Kings, chapter six. 
Another story about having your eyes opened in this way that it seems like you're seeing angels or you're seeing something spiritual that you didn't see before. Okay, so uh, we're going to start reading in verse 13 here of 2 Kings chapter 6. Uh, what was going on was that the king of Syria was trying to attack the Israelites, and yet somebody always found out what his plan was and would rat him out. That's the biblical language. I, I don't make that stuff up. But no, he would, he would tell on what they were planning to do, and the king of Syria was very upset and asking everybody, who's spying for us? Who, who keeps telling them what we're doing? And they said, nobody. They've got this man of God who can see what we're doing, and we, and we can't fool him. So they decided that they would try to attack him with enormous physical force. They put this whole army together to try to attack this one prophet. So let's read what happens. So he said, go and see where he is that I may send and get him. And it was told him saying, surely he is in Dothan. Yes, so this is the king of Syria trying to find where Elisha the prophet is. Go on. Therefore he sent horses and chariots and a great army there, and they came by night and surrounded the city. An intimidating situation. And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? And what does Elisha respond? He answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are against. Mm. How Sorry, could he say than that? those who are with them. Yes, Sorry. right. And Elisha prayed and said... What does he pray? Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Now, he's already physically seeing the army. I mean, it's not like he just heard them. He, he went outside. He saw them all. There were horses and chariots all over the place. Uh, but Elisha's praying for his, quote-unquote, eyes to be open. Isn't it obvious, even from the literal meaning of the text, that it's talking about something higher than just physical sight? Open his eyes that he may see. And what does that mean? Go on. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Oh, he hadn't noticed that before because his spiritual eyes were not open, only his physical eyes, so he could see the physical army in front of him. But all of a sudden now his spiritual eyes are open, and he sees there's horses and chariots of fire all around. You know, a host of angels there. And what does Elisha do? So when the Syrians came down to him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Strike this people, I pray, with blindness. Isn't that interesting? So it's all about vision, this whole story. And he struck them with blindness, according to the word of Elisha. And then you find out it's not physical blindness that he strikes them with, because they're still able to see and move around. But Elisha, but they don't understand who Elisha is. So Elisha promises to lead them. You know, oh, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll show you where you, you're in the wrong place. And he takes them somewhere else. They have no idea what he's doing. And he takes them somewhere else. And then what does he say in verse 20? They come to Samaria. When they came to Samaria, Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. And the Lord opened their eyes and they saw. And there they were inside Samaria. Yes, they had no idea, you know, like they were intellectually fooled as to what, no, this is not the right place, come with me. And it leads them to, to another place. And then the, the opening of their eyes is the opening of their understanding, right? That they, they understand where they are. And uh, then uh, the king of Israel asks whether he should smite them or strike them. And uh, Elisha says, 
no, don't strike them. Let's uh, give them something to eat and drink. So they have a nice meal out there <laughs> with this host of enemies defeated by two individuals. And, uh, and what does he defeat them with? The horses and chariots of fire. Oh, it's so interesting. A horse, I can't prove it to you, friends, but I will simply assert that a horse in Scripture means your understanding of the word. It's the thing that you ride on. It's much like the donkey, only it's even deeper kind of understanding. And these chariots of fire have to do with teachings that relate to love. The fire has to do with love and chariot has to do with teachings. And so isn't it interesting that what he does, he gives them bread and water and he acts with compassion and understanding. You know, like that's the, that's, do you see what I mean? That's the horses and the chariots of fire. That's related to what they see. The angels are with him. It's not like the angels come riding down and beat everybody up or something. He just walks them out of town, shows them somewhere else, gives them a nice meal, and then says, it's been so nice to spend this time with you. Thank you so much. Give my regards to the king of Syria. And sends them off on their way. And look at the very end of verse 23. Do you see that last sentence yeah. down there? So the bands of Syrian raiders came no more into the land of Israel. <laughs> it was a highly effective strategy. You know, they, mm. <laughs> they uh, okay, we're not going to mess with that guy, you know. And so they, they left him alone after that. So again, when eyes are opened in Scripture, it doesn't mean you physically lift your eyelids and see what's physically in front of you. It means that you're seeing something spiritual, right? He saw the horses and chariots of fire all around. That's not, you can't literally have a chariot of fire. It's a, they're terrible to ride on. You know, all, all the hair on your legs, gone. You know, they're, they're, they're really, they're terrible. You have to just return them and get something better. Um, let's have a look at Psalm 119. So turn into the middle of your Bible. Mm. I had fun picking these out. There are a lot of these open eyes passages. Look at Psalm 119, verse 18. Longest psalm in the, in the Old Testament there. Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law. Oh, see, what is the meaning of opening eyes there? That's about teachings, isn't it? It's the wondrous things of your law. Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things out of your law. And the law means the Ten Commandments. The Psalm 119 is all about the commandments, uh, but it's also the whole law of the, of the Old Testament. See wonderful things. Open my eyes so I can see what Scripture means. That's fun. And look at Psalm 146. Mm. Don't we have fun around here? It's just so much fun. Uh, look at verse 8 there in Psalm 146. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. And you see that Lord there is in small caps, which is Yahweh or Jehovah, the uh, um, it's interesting to me that the Old Testament says that the Lord opens the eyes of the blind and then Jesus comes into the world and opens the eyes of the blind. You know, in other words, it's another tiny little, little point of reference where you see that Jesus is really Jehovah in the flesh. Uh, that's who opens the eyes of the blind. Good, good, good. Uh, let's have a look at Isaiah. So turn to the right. I want to go to Isaiah 42. I'm very interested in this method, as some of you may have been able to tell by now, friends, uh, that where you compare different passages and you 
try to figure out what is this talking about, what's going on in here. And even in the, you know, we haven't departed from the literal meaning. I've been giving some of these inner meanings, but it's in there in the text. You know, you can see it's not talking about physical sight because these people already have their physical eyes open. So what is it talking about? Isaiah chapter 42. Let's read from verse 5, shall we? That'll be fun. Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread forth the earth and that which comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk on it. Mm, breath and spirit, isn't that interesting? Go on. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness and will hold your hand. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people as a light to the Gentiles. I don't know if you have that kind of Bible where they put stars of sort of prophecies of when Jesus would come into the world, but, but my Bible has a star next to this one. Uh, in other words, who is, who is this you? I'll give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the Gentiles. Oh, who's the, oh we're talking about opening the eyes. Hmm, light's pretty relevant here. And what does it say in verse 7? To open blind eyes. Yep. To bring out prisoners from the prison, those who sit in darkness from the prison house. Yes, and look at this, right after it says that. So you think, oh, okay, this is clear. This is I, the Lord. This is, this is Jehovah, Yahweh again, who says that this Jesus will be sent into the world. I'm giving you as a covenant for the people to open the eyes of the blind and so on. And then, what does it say in verse 8? I am the Lord. That is my name. And my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved images. Yeah. There is nobody else. See what I mean? I'm not... Don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not giving my glory to somebody else. You know, that's going to be me coming into the world and taking care of this. Um, so that, that's a wonderful little hint there. Let's turn into the New Testament to the Gospel of Matthew, which is the first one you come to there. Go to chapter 9. Hmm. What do we have here in Matthew 9? Let's look at verse 27. When Jesus departed from there, two blind men followed him, crying out and saying, Son of David, have mercy on us. And when he had come into the house, the blind men came to him. And Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, let it be to you. And what happened? And their eyes were opened. And Jesus sternly warned them, saying, See that no one knows it. But when they had departed, they spread the news about him in all that country. <laughs> he has a terrible time telling people to be quiet. <laughs> they, just, they always tell about it. Now, you see here, this is very plainly talking about your physical eyes being open, but here it's talking about blind eyes receiving physical sight. I mean, that's what it means. And yet the language is exactly the same about opening, isn't it? Their eyes were opened. So interesting that he came into the world and he's, and he's doing physical healings of physical blindness. What does that mean? Let's look at Matthew chapter 20 as we continue with these. Let's start at verse 30 there. And behold, two blind men sitting by the road, when they heard that Jesus was passing by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. Two blind men. This is not the same story. I mean, this is in the same gospel. We already heard this. This is another story. Same deal, though. Two blind men, right? 
saying, have mercy on us. And what happened here? Then the multitude warned them that they should be quiet. But they cried out all the more, saying, <laughs> have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. People are just not obedient, are they? Be quiet. Oh, they make even more noise. Go on. <laughs> so Jesus stood still. Isn't that a nice little detail? And called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? <clears throat> they said to him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. Yes, they, they <clears throat> don't say heal us of our blindness or whatever. He says that our eyes may be opened. Okay, so, so what does he do? So Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes. And immediately their eyes received sight and they followed him. Okay, another healing of the blind and the language of opening the eyes. Isn't it curious that so far in this reading, the Old Testament has used the phrase open your eyes metaphorically, but the New Testament in some sense literally, I mean, it's not like opening like your lids, but they start physically working and you can see. It's curious, the same language is used. Now, behold Luke 24. So turn to the right through Mark to Luke. Oh, I'm sorry, we got to go to Mark 8, don't we? have to go to Mark 8, of course. That's where we were last time. Let's have a look at Mark chapter 8, starting at verse 22. Oh, oh, we've got to back up a little bit. Can't start there. Let's see. Okay, let's start at verse 14. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread, and they did not have more than one loaf with them in the boat. Okay. Then he charged them, saying, Take heed. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. The leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. They have no bread. He says, beware of the leaven. Okay. And they reasoned among themselves saying, it is because we have no bread. Okay, this will go over well. So they think he's talking about bread. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they think, oh, he's talking about physical bread. So what does he say? But Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, why do you reason because you have no bread? Mm. Do you not yet perceive nor understand? Is your heart still hardened? And listen to this. Having eyes, do you not see? Oh. And having ears, do you not hear? Now, wait a minute. That does mean understanding because they have physical eyes. But he's talking, having eyes, do you not see? Like you have a faculty of understanding. You aren't using it. Why aren't you using it? You have ears, but you don't hear. Go on. And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of fragments did you take up? They said to him, 12. That happened a couple of chapters ago. Also, when I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many large baskets full of fragments did you take up? And they said, seven. And listen to his question. So he said to them, how is it you do not understand? <laughs> I don't understand you people. You know, how, how don't you get this? Why don't you get this? I don't have a bread problem. I can create bread for thousands in the blink of an eye. What does it take to convince you that I'm not talking about physical bread? And so it's amazing. And look at the very next thing that happens. So how is it that you don't understand? And what is the next verse about? Then he came to Bethsaida. And they brought a blind man to Oh, him. blindness, not understanding. Oh, here we are again. Blind, don't understand, right? Isn't that interesting that right after this whole thing about do you have eyes but you don't see, you have ears you don't hear, you don't remember, 
aren't you comprehending what I'm doing here? How is it that you don't understand? And then there's a blind man. Go on. And begged him to touch him. Yes. So he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands on him, he asked him if he saw anything. Yes. This is what we were talking about last time, this rather mysterious passage. So he spit on his eyes and put his hands on him, doesn't say where, and uh, asked him if he could see anything. And he looked up and said, I see men like trees walking. Now, I think the detail that he looked up is interesting. And he sees men as trees walking. Okay, kind of a surreal image. Okay, and then what happened? Then he put his hands on his eyes again and made him look up. Mm. And he was restored and saw everyone clearly. And what does he say to him? Then he sent him away to his house saying, Neither go into the town nor tell anyone in the town. <laughs> yeah, that'll work. Um, so, uh, as I mentioned last time, this is a very rare instance where Jesus, there's two actions required to heal the person. It's almost always only one action. <coughs> and it's interesting that there's slightly different details that there was spit involved the first time. And then the second time, it seems like he just touched his eyes directly and then he could see clearly. So I looked up what Swedenborg has to say about this, and he only explains it once in all of his writings, and he's a little bit cryptic about it, but what he says is that this has to do with our understanding of Scripture. And the spit has to do with when we start to understand Scripture on the literal level, the, liter the reason it's a twofold meaning is that that's what happens with us and Scripture. And the, the spit and so on, uh, brings you into that outer level. And so he sees things, but he sees men as trees walking. Swedenborg says in this case that what trees mean, you see there's a sort of hierarchy. Uh, you can see in the creation story, can you not, that there's kind of a hierarchy that you build up from the, you, you uh, just have plants, you know, and then you rise up to the point where you have fish, and you have birds and animals, and then you get to human beings. There's this kind of, I think it's what they used to refer to as the great chain of being. You know, there's a sense of a hierarchy of, of beings and that the humans are at the top. So the, the trees are good plants. They're exciting plants, but they're down on the plant level. You know, lower than the animal level, lower than the human level. What this person sees when he's reading scripture, literally, his eyes are opened kind of part way by reading literally because he sees trees, but they're walking. Trees have to do with knowledge. It's a fairly external thing. The tree has to do with knowledge, and the reason that the trees are walking is that the knowledge, the information you get out of Scripture when you read it literally is you can't quite tell what's going on. It's sort of baffling what's going on. You can't really see it very clearly, but you know there's information there, and the information has primarily to do with the way that we have to live. That's why the trees are walking. That's why this strange image of the trees walking, because it's knowledge about how you live. Then that seems to bring you to the point where now you can be touched by Jesus more directly, right? Like you, you, you have to have that baseline of just reading a lot of scripture and it starts to open your eyes, but only part way. That's why this, this uh, miracle is the way that it is. Then when Jesus touches your eyes, then you see people and you see them clearly. People are in the image and likeness of God. 
the image and likeness of God is love and wisdom. When you go into a deeper level of scripture, then you see that it's all about truth and compassion. Uh, before, you just saw sort of information and you're supposed to live. But this is about, oh no, I see something human in there now. Now I see this as a human text. It's got something human in there. So this healing is twofold, not because Jesus didn't do it well the first time, but to illustrate something about the way that we go from the literal sense of scripture into the inner meaning and we start to see the wisdom and the compassion in there. And that's when we see clearly, we see the love and wisdom clearly in a text. That is so fun, isn't it? All right, let's uh, move on to Luke now, Luke chapter 24. Mm, just a hoot blast riot, that's what it is. Uh, Luke chapter 24. <coughs> Uh, this is one of my favorite chapters in Scripture, as I say all the time. And there's this road to Emmaus where Jesus is walking along after the crucifixion with these two disciples, and they don't recognize him. They see him with their physical eyes. Right? They see him with their physical eyes. They're walking along. They're perfectly sighted. But they're not understanding who he is. And so... When they get to their destination and Jesus sits down with them to break bread, look at verse 30 and 31 there. Now it came to pass as he sat at the table with them that he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they knew him. They knew him. You see, eyes open has to do with knowledge. And this is knowledge of who the Lord is, that you've been walking along with this stranger. You didn't know who he was. Now all of a sudden... Oh, their eyes are opened, and they knew him, and it's a bummer. This happens sometimes. And he vanished from their sight. No! But look at what it says in verse 32 there. And they said to one another, did not our heart burn within us? While See, they hadn't realized it, but their hearts were burning while they were listening to this discourse on the road. And while he did what? And while he opened the scriptures to us. Oh! Two things are opened in this story, eyes and scripture. Am I wrong? While he talked with us, by the way, and he opened up the scriptures. You see, look up at verse 27. It says, beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. He opened their understanding of the Old Testament, how the whole thing was about Jesus. It was all a prediction of what was going to happen. And this was the opening that had taken place and then the last bit is when they're sitting down to dinner. Then they realize, oh, and you're Jesus. You know, they, they, they put the last piece of the puzzle together. It's almost like that healing, isn't it? Where they're seeing in the scriptures, he's opening their eyes. And then they finally see the Lord himself. And it's almost too much. Like he just poof, he, he, he vanishes from their sight. Now look a few verses later. He appears to all these people behind closed doors, the rest of the disciples. And he shows them his hands and his feet and says he's not just a spirit. He has flesh and bones and he even eats in front of them and all that. And then look at verse 44. Then he said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you. See, he's resurrected now. But while he was still physically with them, he spoke all these things. And why did he do that? That all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. Wow, all of that was about him. And so all these things must be fulfilled. And then what does it say? And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Oh, look at that. So 
opened eyes in verse 31, opened understanding in verse 45. And what are they understanding? They're understanding the scriptures. And it says in verse 32, he opened the scriptures to us. The opening of the eyes have to do with opening our understanding of scripture. That's one meaning. One meaning is to open and see the spiritual world, right? To see angels. Another meaning is to open up the inner meaning of the word and to be able to see that it's all about the Lord and everything, to see the love and the compassion in the text, which is not easy. It's easier to see trees walking around than it is to see the humanness in, in the texts all the time. Uh, let's turn to the right and go to John. Man. Mm. John chapter 9. Let's start at uh, the beginning. Now, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. Wow, all these blind people. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Common theory that, that you know, someone did something bad, and that's why he's blind. But it doesn't work that way. Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. Mm. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Wow. I've talked about this before. If Jesus was a mere human being, he was an insane human being. But if he was God, it makes sense why he would say, as long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. It's a very strong kind of statement. And then what did he do to illustrate that point that he just made? When he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva. What is it with spit? Okay. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. Oh. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated scent. Oh. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Now, Swedenborg says that this story means the same thing as the story in Mark chapter 8, the spit there is the same as the spit and the clay here. The pool of Siloam, Swedenborg says, corresponds to the literal meaning of Scripture. That is Scripture, you know, this, this great uh, pool of truth. And that you go wash there, washing having to do with the washing of regeneration, Titus 3 verse 5, and that he comes back seeing. In other words, he practices what's written in the Word, and he comes back seeing. And so there's so much great stuff in this story but just look at this. Look in verse 10. Therefore they said to him, How were your eyes opened? Yes. So in other words, several times in this whole thing, it talks about the opening of the eyes. Uh, you know, th that's how it refers to the fact that he received his sight. The whole story is fantastic, but we'll move forward. Let's go into the Acts, which comes next to the right. And uh, let's go to, both of these have to do with Paul and his uh, vision of Jesus when he was on the road to Damascus. And let's start in chapter 9, and let's look at, uh, that's just too great. Okay, he's actually heading out to, in order to persecute people. It says in the first verse that he was, in the old King James, breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord. Okay, and as he journeyed to do this, to persecute and torment and kill Christians, what happens in verse 3? Suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Mm. 
Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Wow. Now, everybody knew back then, just standard knowledge, voice from heaven equals God. Voice from heaven equals, if you hear a voice from heaven, that's God. Isn't it interesting that God announced himself as Jesus? He said, I'm Jesus. A voice, you know, from heaven said, I'm Jesus. Go on. Um, so Paul said, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Kick against the goads is another horse or donkey riding metaphor, isn't it? Sort of like Balaam and the, it's, it's just past finding out. Go on. <clears throat> so he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Uh -huh. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Aha, uh -huh. so they heard the voice. There are three different accounts of this in Acts, and each one's slightly different. But in this one, they heard a voice, but they didn't see anyone. So how did Saul see? He must have had his spiritual eyes opened, right? Like he was, his eyes were open and he could see the Lord. Go on. Then Saul arose from the ground and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. Oh, weird. Okay. So this turns it the other way up and when his eyes are open, he doesn't see anybody, but actually that's when his physical eyes are open and his spiritual eyes are closed. Go on. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. In fact... And he was three days without sight. His physical eyes weren't working that great either. <laughs> and neither ate nor drank. Yes, that's right. And then this Ananias told him, uh, you know, what has to happen. The Lord got the two of them hooked up. It's a wonderful story. And then uh, look at verse 17. And Ananias went his way and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said. He laid his hands on him. Isn't that what the Lord did? Laying the hands on, that's how he healed all this blindness. So Ananias lays his hand on Saul. And said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight mm. and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And what happened? Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales. Mm. And he received his sight at once. And he arose and was baptized. The scales, you heard that expression, the scales fall from your eyes. It's like, whoa, all of a sudden it, there was something in the way and he really couldn't see. For a number of days, three days he was without sight. And then, ah, oh, he gets his sight back. And, and on several different levels, because uh, Ananias was sent to him by the Lord, it confirms the spiritual experience that he had and he gets his charge, you know, that he's going to go out and preach this new gospel. And look in Acts 26, chapter 26, which is another account of his, of the same story. And it has some other delightful details in there. In verse 13, it says there was brightness of the sun shining around him. And he hears a voice speaking to him. And he says, uh, who are you? And he says, I'm Jesus and all that. And then let's start at verse 16 there and see what Jesus says to Paul. In this account, 
version so this of the is Jesus talking. Yes. But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose. For this purpose. To make you a minister and a witness, both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. Oh, that sounds good. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles, to whom I now send you. And I'm sending you why? To open their eyes. Oh, Paul is sent to, he has his eyes open, now he's sent to open other people's eyes. That's his charge. And to do what? In order to turn them from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins. I don't think this is talking about turning on a physical lamp, right? This is not what that's, he's talking about opening the eyes of their spirit uh, so that they're open to God, they turn away from Satan and all that, right? Mm -hmm. Go on. Uh, they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Aha. Uh -huh. And then Paul continues. Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. Yes, I obeyed this vision to open people's eyes and turn them from Satan to God. And what does he say that he did? But declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent. They should do what? Repent. They should repent. Oh, how he's going to open their eyes is that they should repent. Is it possible that washing in the pool of Siloam is an image of repentance? You're washing. Uh, hmm, interesting. They should repent and do what else? Turn to God and do works befitting repentance. Yes, do works so you have to change the way that you live your life. You have to repent, turn to God, and that was his message. He says, I wasn't disobedient to the heavenly vision. He told me to open everybody's eyes, so I told them to repent. Right? Isn't that the logic? Doesn't, doesn't that make sense? So that's what we have. And one more reading along these lines. If you'll go to the right through Romans and First and Second Corinthians, and Galatians, you'll get to Ephesians. I want chapter 1. And uh, Paul says, oh, let's pick up a verse 15, get a whole sentence for once. <laughs> Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. Wow, so what he is praying that they receive is the spirit of what? Wisdom. Wisdom, and what else? Revelation in the knowledge of oh, Him. Oh, wisdom, revelation, in the knowledge of Him. So he's praying that they get wisdom, revelation, and knowledge of Him the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Oh, thank you. So it speaks very clearly about the eyes of your understanding. And so when you receive this wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, that's the same as having the eyes of your understanding enlightened. It doesn't, it's not talking about physical light. It's talking about the, not talking about your physical eyes. It's talking about the eyes of your understanding. So nice. Thank you so much, Paul, for saying that. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that's how you receive that spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God. Isn't it interesting that in that other place uh, in Isaiah there, it talked about 
uh, opening the eyes of the blind. And then immediately he says, I'm the Lord. I don't give my glory to anybody else. Like what you learn is who the Lord is. You know, that's, that's part of what your eyes are open to. Oh, such tremendous fun, such tremendous fun. All right, I think I will have to cut some wonderful passages that we would read about. Uh, there are interesting passages about closing the eyes. There are passages, you've heard this expression, haven't you, in Scripture, about lifting your eyes. The Lord says, lift your eyes and look, the harvest is already white. It's plentiful. It's four months ahead of the physical harvest. Lift your eyes and see that it's all getting ready to go. And he's talking about a spiritual harvest. Uh, so lifting eyes, uh, uh, Daniel in his vision several times, he lifts his eyes and then he sees a vision. You know, it's talking about that spiritual sight, the eyes of the spirit being opened. Okay, so what does this mean that Jesus came into the world and healed the blind and that it happened so many times and it was so often associated with understanding, with people not understanding things and then he heals the blind. He says he's the light and then he opens people's physical sight. Okay, well, one interpretation of this, as I say, is that the, our, when the eyes of our spirit are opened, then we're able to see the things of heaven. We can see angels. We can see things in the spiritual world. This is something that the Lord wants to give us. Another meaning of opening our eyes, he opened their understanding of the scriptures, right? He opened the scriptures to them so that they might understand or comprehend the scriptures. Heaven, opening your eyes to heaven, is the same as opening your eyes to what really lies in the Word, in the Bible. Right? Opening your, he opened the, he's opening the scriptures to them, and then they understand, then they see him, they recognize him, and then he vanishes out of their sight. But so opening eyes has to do with seeing heaven and it has to do with seeing what's inside the Word. And what's inside the Word is heaven. There, there, there are angels in there, you know. Uh, that's where angels live. They live in that understanding, in the compassion and truth that lie on the inside. When you just see the outside, if you're lucky, you see trees walking around. you got rather a bizarre view of, do you like Scripture? Yeah, it's kind of cartoon-like, you know, that's all right. Uh, you're not really seeing the full wisdom and, and uh, love that's in there uh, until the, the Lord opens your eyes the rest of the way. And part of what's going on here, good friends, is that, okay, to, to, to talk about this, I just need to cover very briefly the uh, spiritual history of the entire human race since the beginning. Is that all right with you? Shall we just run over that quickly? Uh, at the very beginning, there were people whose... Uh, who were able to see into heaven. The earliest people, the most ancient people, were able to see heaven. They were able to interact with people. It was tough to keep track of who had died and who hadn't. Everything was all together. Uh, they were very innocent. They saw everything in this world as being alive. They saw everything in this world as being a reflection of heaven. And they had this amazing sight of God. Uh, and it was just a perception. It was an intuition. They could see it. Intuition comes from Latin words meaning to see, to gaze upon. Um, then that fell and crumbled in the stories that are meant in the Old Testament by, the, uh, by the, the giants, the flood and all that, still in Genesis. Then you got to a second tier where people were able to see things in the spiritual world, but they did it more through 
through correspondences in this world, like they knew that a fish means this. And that's why, why they would have things that were part fish and part human. Now we just think that's a mermaid. But that's because fish has to do with your earthly knowledge. And then the human part has to do with, with spiritual or heavenly knowledge. And that's a picture of how your heavenly wisdom and everything sits on your earthly knowledge. That's where that mermaid kind of, you know, where that figure and Dagon was one of those. That's where that figure comes from originally. But then it got corrupted. Uh, so all the things of ancient Egypt and so on, all the... All that imagery uh, uh, was a way of being able to see. They knew what what snakes meant and what you know all these animals, what the sun meant and all that. And so they were able to have contact with heaven. It was more remote than the sweetie pies in the most ancient church who just were with God and just loved it. And by the way, all of this is mapped onto our lives. So when you see little children, isn't it fun? You've probably had the experience of very little children that uh, they have this seventh state of consciousness, this waking REM state, and uh, uh, they will, they will, their eyes are, are seeing things that you don't see in the physical room, and then they smile, you know, and then they look at you and they go, oh, it's just you. And then they, oh, wow, that's really cool. Oh, it's just you. And uh, the, that corresponds to that most ancient church, that earliest state, they're present with something. Then they go through teething and so on. They start to come into that next state. But there's still a magic in childhood that we know about. They're connected with something. The darndest things come out of their mouths and everything, right? Uh, so in that ancient state, there was a connection with heaven. But that got corrupted and turned into magic, where now it's sort of like, uh, by the power of Lothar, I shall condemn you. And, you know, they're, they're doing stupid things with, with the magic now. They're not blessing each other. It's not about love. It's not about compassion. It's about power, about wealth, and so on. That's a corruption of it. So the Lord kicked everybody out of the pool, said, okay, no more spiritual, you know, we're not having any contact with the spiritual world, okay? Because y'all are abusing it. You're using it to attack other people. You're sticking pins in dolls and trying to kill them or give them a heart attack and all that stuff. Uh, we're not doing it anymore. I mean, yes, I know some of that continues, but... But generally, all that was shut down. People forgot about correspondences. They almost forgot about the existence of the spiritual world. And then in Christianity, the Lord tried to um, restore things and so on. But there was a lot of misunderstanding. I'm thinking of what he said to those disciples, that he's talking about the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod. And they're going, is he talking about bread? And um, they're not getting it, you know. They're still looking at it in an outward way. There are some people, there's a mystical tradition, you know, and so on, but, but they're not really getting into the depth of it. What the Lord wants to do with Christianity version 2.0 is he wants to open the eyes of the human race. He wants to reopen our eyes, but he, it's going to be safe. I don't know if some of you heard that Bible study a few weeks ago about the door to the sheepfold. He's going to be the point of access to heaven. We go in and out through him. That's a safe passageway. It's not some voodoo. It's, it's not some animistic or shamanistic thing or, or whatever that may be prone to evil spirits or, or, or whatever. I'm not knocking the whole thing, but I'm just saying it's a more vulnerable track than going through the Lord. He came into the world to make it safe for us to have our eyes opened. And another reason he came was to open our eyes to the scriptures. We've had many Bible studies in years past on the fact that it's not that he actually comes in the clouds. The clouds are clouds of Scripture, and it says everyone will see him coming in the clouds. You know, it's about our perception. 
what's going to happen is that people are going to start to be able to see the Lord will open our eyes to that second level of that healing miracle where we start to see the love and compassion. We start to see the Lord in the text. Uh, that's where he wants to go. So by teaching us correspondences, the language of Scripture, he wants to open that up to us so that our eyes are open to the Word and our eyes are open to heaven. And those two are the same thing. What lies within the Bible is the same thing as heaven. And he wants to open our spiritual eyes again. He says in Joel chapter 2, he's going to pour out his Spirit on all flesh. Everybody's going to be prophesying. Everybody's going to be testifying. Uh, this is the condition that he wants to bring us into where this is open again and it's open in a safe way. He much prefers, he's just, he's just very nice, he's just a sweetheart. Uh, he wants to bring the two worlds together. You know, let's, you know, I know that we had that big separation a while ago. You know, let's just let, put that behind us. Let's get heaven and earth together again. What is it? Yeah, we'll all be happy together. It, it, it'll be awesome. Um, when Swedenborg has a vision of the Christianity version 2.0 or the, what he calls the new church in the spiritual world, he sees this temple and at the center of this temple there's this image of this, this cherub, this angel guardian who's there. Uh, it's at the center of the temple and what it stands for is the access that people on earth have to heaven through scripture that will be in the new church. There's a way of getting into heaven, the thoughts of heaven, by being let into Scripture. He opened their understanding so that they could comprehend the Scriptures. And the Lord ultimately is the Word. When it really opens up, you see, oh, that's the Lord. You think it's a stranger who's saying very interesting things about the Old Testament. When you sit down to dinner and he breaks the bread, then you realize, oh, that's you. You know, that's, that's the Lord inside Scripture. He wants to open all that to us. That's a lot. Uh, so you can see that these miracles, some of which just go by in two, three verses, some take a whole chapter, but this, this healing of the blind and two, two blind people and they're crying out, there's, there's a blind person. All this healing of the blind is a particular picture of how he wants to open the eyes of the whole human race. Yes, he's interested in fixing your eyeball problem, and we all have them, uh, but he's interested in fixing our understanding problem. He wants to open our minds so that we see heaven, so that we see the love, we see the compassion, so that we see angels, we see their outward-facing-ness, for lack of a better word, you know, the way that they're so devoted to helping and service and everything. Uh, he wants to show us all of that. Uh, so those miracles were just, and especially that one where he just does it, and then he asks him, can you see yet? And he says, I see people like trees walking, and then he touches him directly and it opens up more and the Lord is thinking about this whole thing that he's going to do with the whole human race of opening our eyes and it's going to come through the opening of the scriptures that's what he did in Luke chapter 24 that's what Paul was praying for didn't he revelation the spirit of wisdom revelation in the knowledge of the Lord that the eyes of your understanding might be enlightened uh, he wants to bring us into this and it's not only the eyes of your understanding but obviously also our hearts. But it's the eyes that we're talking about tonight. So, uh, and when you think about the Bible, the Bible has a ton of what people saw with their eyes opened. All these visions of Daniel, visions of John, 
uh, what Jesus says, what he shows the disciples when he's transfigured. There's a lot of what people saw when their spiritual eyes were open. This is a whole book of, here's what I saw. This is what I wrote when my spiritual eyes were open. It's a very cool book that way. Hard to understand. Might look at first you, even if you're lucky, like trees walking around and not something that makes perfect sense. But hang in there because the Lord can touch our eyes and bring us to an even deeper understanding. Uh, in some, good friends, Jesus healed the blind as a way of showing us that he has the ability to heal and open the eyes of our spirit, the spiritual eyes of, if he could, the entire human race. He, he's looking for heaven on earth. You know, thy kingdom come, as in heaven, so upon the earth. That's what he's going for. He, he wants, let's get over the division thing. Let's all get together and be friends and work together. It'll be awesome. So I invite all of us to join the Lord in that effort. Thank you, good friends. Let's close with a prayer, shall we? Mm. Mm. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we thank you for your presence in the Word. Thank you for that subtle feeling sometimes that our hearts are burning. We didn't realize that was you in there. We didn't realize that that little message you gave to Joshua or to Moses or whomever for Mary in the New Testament was intended for us. Your love is reaching out to us in the pages of your scripture. Open the eyes of our understanding, Lord, that we might comprehend your scriptures, that we may see your face, that we may realize that we're sitting at a table and you are sitting right across the table from us, breaking bread with us. Lord, we know you're knocking on our door. Let us open the door to you and you come in and sit down with us so that we can have that meal that goes on forever. Our Father, who art in the heavens, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so upon the earth. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's keep on repenting, friends, so that he may open our eyes.